This is the Ridgeline Leadership Podcast, episode 26. Here we go. What's up, everyone? This is Blake and Peter, and welcome back to the Ridgeline Leadership Podcast, the podcast that empowers aspiring leaders to identify, connect to, and advance on the path of leadership. And I am super pumped today because we're having Chad Peterman on the podcast. Chad is the president and co-owner of Peterman Brothers, a residential service-focused company on HVAC, plumbing, and electrical. Gotten into our field some now. Uh, Chad has a podcast called Can't Stop the Growth. He's authored many books I saw recently. I, I thought you just had uh, the one, but no, you're a, a badass and you're pumping them out. Um, honestly, I don't remember 100% how we connected. I don't know if it was a mutual friend or something, but I remember connecting to you quickly, um, really connected to your heart for growing people, for connecting them to their work, and then your vision for the future. So really just thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, excited to uh, uh, chat with you guys and, and talk uh, about leadership and, and most importantly, how we can, uh, you know, hopefully guide uh, those aspiring leaders uh, down the path of uh, fulfilling kind of their leadership journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Chad, if you would, would you tell us just about what you do? I know I kind of gave a high level, but more like your your leadership, like what you do, where you work, um, maybe just what makes you guys different from other people in the same industry. Yeah, so um, I, it all really starts with my kind of origin story. So I, I don't have a technical background. Uh, my dad started the business in 86. Uh, I, it was something I never thought I'd get into. Um, I graduated from college in 2009, went away, uh, moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. I grew, grew up on the south side of Indy. Um, but uh, yeah, went away, kind of, you know, discover yourself, early 20s, right out of college. Um, had a really cool job, some really cool uh, leaders that I worked for. Um, but uh, honestly, probably got a little bit homesick and, and made the journey home. And you know, I think joining dad was probably the easiest thing. So I probably joined not really knowing what I was getting into, but knowing for sure that I didn't have any technical background. And so uh, to most that would be scary. Um, and it was for me as well. You know, I, I uh, kind of dove in where I could um, and tried to help. Um, but I think as it relates to leadership, the one thing I really latched onto was that I needed these technical people um, to help grow the business. Like I didn't have that skill. And so, uh, for me, uh, motivating and empowering and really showing people, uh, that regardless of position, you're a leader. Um, and I'm going to look to you to be a leader because mm. you know, things that I don't know. Um, and so I think that gave me a unique perspective, um, getting started and is really what is kind of, uh, as I saw it kind of work and when we grew the company, that's really what we kind of latched on to is empowering others 
Um, you know, everybody's a leader. People come and ask me questions all the time. I'm like, whatever you think, you know, let's, let's roll with it. I'll, I'll support you and however I can. Um, you know, I may share, Hey, we tried that in the past. It worked. It didn't work, whatever it may be, but you know, that's part of uh, fleshing out an idea. So, um, again, just, uh, as we work as as we, um, try to, you know, be a unique place for people to come. I think that empowerment and, uh, you know, just uh, that supportive atmosphere um, for people to be at their best, which I think is maybe not often seen in, in the trades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, well said. Sure. So as far as what makes you guys different, um, you guys develop people. I, I would say like from the outside looking in, I would say those people develop what they're looking for. They don't just uh, go look for what they are looking for more or less. So I, I think that's really unique about you guys. How, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? You guys just recently in the past year, two years started yeah, a up a, a school just focused on everything you guys are doing, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, we'll start there as far as the technical side, kind of what makes us different. You know, we, we learned as we kind of hit scale and, and continued to grow is that we were going to need people and, you know, mm-hmm heck you go out in the world today, everybody's talking about meeting people and there aren't enough and this, that, and the other. And so Mm -hmm. what we decided was that you're right in the trades, there are not enough people. Um, And so rather than sit on our hands and just wonder where we're going to find them, uh, we said, well, there's a lot of good people out there. They just may not know how to work on a furnace or put in a water heater or, you know, change out a panel. And so uh, we undertook uh, putting together um, a basically a trade school. So um, we have students in now. Uh, we just had a class of 17 graduate. Um, Congrats, man. Wow. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so they right now they spend two months in class. Uh, they go out in the field on their own for three months. So they're revenue generating at eight weeks um, out there. And then they'll come back in for a month of more advanced technical training with the hopes that in about a six month span, we can turn out service technicians that can mm-hmm. run troubleshooting calls and problem calls. And, you know, it may not be our hardest, most difficult calls, but mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're seeing some of that action there. And then for others that are maybe a little bit slower to advance and, you know, picking it up and all that stuff, which is perfectly fine. Everybody learns at their own pace. Um, we'll continue to feed them kind of those uh, introductory calls and stuff like that. But we run right now, we're running two classes a year. Um, our next class will probably be our biggest, um, just given the, the new locations that we've opened and different things like that. So we'll probably have probably 25 to 30 students in this next class. Wow. So I'm curious, you, you mentioned about six months time training what's the average if they don't, or the, the normal, if they don't go through a class like you guys have created uh, for a, a brand new tech to get from zero to running out of their own van or own truck? Uh, that's a great question. Um, Peter, what I would tell you is that I have no idea. Uh, we were, <laughs> we were, we were uh, just as guilty as everybody of, you know, Hey, you know, buddy, uh, thanks for joining. I know you're a green tech. Why don't you go out with Brian, who's one of our seasoned guys, 
and yeah. uh, we'll have Brian report back when you're ready. Well, uh, okay. Brian, Brian would only tell me that, oh, yeah, he's got a lot to learn, you know. He, he, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of experience. It's probably going to take him another six years to get – I'm like, I don't have six years, buddy. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, if we – we took some guys from, you know, green up to, you know, a service technician, but a lot longer, I would tell you. Um, and most of the time, we never saw that to fulfillment. Uh, okay. It was, they would get frustrated. We would get frustrated. It was just a broken system uh, yeah. that we were trying to push these people through. I think we had the right intentions. We just didn't have yeah. the right setup. I like that. So as you're talking about your people, um, you've mentioned your team a couple times. Can you tell us a little bit more about who your team is? Who are the people, you know, what does that, what does that structure kind of look like? Who is the, the, um, you mentioned technical staff that you work with. What does that look like? Yeah, for, for sure. So I have uh, I have an executive team that reports to me. Um, that includes our, uh, my brother and um, a lady by the name of Christy, our operations managers. So my brother focuses more on the install and production side fleet, um, whereas Christy focuses more on the internal workings and the service departments. Um, we then have a director of branch operations. Uh, she oversees all, Cheryl oversees all of our branches uh, that we have. We have four branches outside of Indy um, that she uh -huh. oversees. Um, we also have our, our director of sales, director of HR, CFO, um, and then our, um, I'm forgetting one, our director of training uh, and development. So um, all of them uh, report to me. We kind of oversee the, the business as it is. Um, as, it, as it breaks down into the technical side, um, we have two full-time trainers that just train in the school. Um, and then we're working on building out a training under our director of training, working on building out that team to train our internal staff too. And then the okay. only other person I forgot as I'm thinking through like rounding the offices around uh, mine is our director of, uh, of marketing and IT. Uh, he, uh, he does a phenomenal job with things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, all of those report to me and then um, we kind of run the business. That's awesome. How big uh, is your company at this point, manpower wise? Like total? yeah, so we have uh, three hundred and fifty people um, oh, in the man. company. And I think we've got another twenty three starting on Monday. Um, so we got a big class starting Monday, uh, which should be good. But um, yeah, is just... that your hiring and funnel then is through the school now? So. Uh, like so eventually it will be uh we haven't really caught up to our growth in the school um our class sizes keep getting bigger in order to try to catch up to it sure eventually that's my plan uh is to from a technician standpoint we only recruit out of the school uh like we don't if, if i could get to a point one day where we don't recruit job ready individuals i just have mm -hmm. you know that funnel just moving through there that yeah. would be the perfect spot to be. So are the people who go through the school, do they go directly to you guys? Or yes. is it, so like, are they getting paid the whole time they're going through the school or? They are. So that's the one question I think people most ask me is, well, like, how do you, you know, how do you afford that? I'm like, you know, what's the common thing of like, how do you afford not to do it? Yeah, that's right. um, yeah, that's but, exactly. uh, you know, so we pay them throughout the school. So those eight weeks where they're just learning and not producing anything, um, 
we are paying them. And then obviously when they get on the field and producing revenue, we're still paying them. Um, but yeah, they become a Peterman employee on day one of the school. Wow. Man, wow. that's great. That's awesome. Man, that t- that's, uh, I love it. I love talking to people who have that vision on the front side instead of yeah. just on the back side, right? Like a lot of people talk about that, um, that cost that we just don't know because it takes so many variables to figure out is just the cost of doing business. And I think we know at this point there's cost of doing business poorly because when they turn over so frequently, like th- there's no oh, yeah. loyalty, there's no growth towards that. So no, I love that. Um, so this whole month or grouping of our podcasts, we're talking about vision. Um, you know, I don't remember if it was, I think both Vern Harnish and Jim Collins have both said the whole, like the key to success is 1% vision and 99% alignment. And even before we hopped on here, we were talking a little bit about this, just that I think a lot of times we misunderstand that in that we're like, oh yeah, we just need to be focused on just aligned to the vision and don't understand that that 1% is a very laser focused percent on vision on how to have a worthwhile thing to even align to or to go after. So it is no, like, I don't have a question in my, my mind at all about whether you're a visionary. It's very clear. Um, so with that, like, how do you come up with the vision for where you're going as a person, but also like for your company? Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, you know, this is something that for whatever reason is, is a, um, uh, something I was blessed with. I can kind of see things before they're there. Um, for some that's, you know, difficult, but for me, it's like, you know, like the current building we're in, I drew that just cause I could like see it. Um, kind of a weird thing I know, but, um, it's helped me here. So, um, but, uh, so what I've always looked at from a vision is especially as it relates to business and, and more specifically business and the trades is, how do we create a place that people love to work? Like throw out what we do. Like it's not, our goal is not to, you know, replace 800 water heaters next year because we replaced 750 this year. Mm. Um, The goal is to create a great place to work and a great place for people to grow. Mm. And so I kind of look at it from, okay, what would that place look like? What are all the things? What does it feel like to walk into our doors? What is it? What do conversations sound like? What does it look like in the mornings? What do people look like when they come back from a job? Like, are they happy? Are they drained? Are they, you know, what, what is it? What's a company party look like? What's it feel like? What are the conversations? Are people excited to hear, see each other? Um, and I kind of go with that feeling and then work backwards to, okay, well, what would the things that we would need to do, what would we need to do in order to produce that result? And so we look at it from that lens. Any decision we're going to make is how do we make it so that, you know, everybody really enjoys working here. And yeah, do we have policies that people don't necessarily like? Yeah, probably, you know, I, I would imagine so. Um, but we felt it in our best interest that that has to be in place to make the business run smoothly. Um, it's not about making things that everybody likes. It's about creating an atmosphere that everybody likes to work within. You know, mm-hmm. you may not like all the rules, but you understand that, well, that's probably got to be done. We probably have to show up at eight o'clock to make the customer happy. Type thing. Yeah. So 
we're, we're going into 2022. When do you feel like you're focusing heavily on the next year's vision or is it more of a quarterly thing or, or whatever? Because that ideal, it feels like there's this meta vision of like, what is the, what should be and what could be. But then there's also like this, okay, now how do we get there type of vision? Like what's mm-hmm. the next step kind of vision? So when are you doing those types of things as a leader for that vision to align to? Usually not soon enough. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> this is an area Preach I've got to get better at. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, you can lose sight of it in the day to day. And uh, as leaders, we've got to really structure out, um, you know, how we're going to gain that alignment. You know, it's great to roll out the new company vision at the end of the holiday party and everybody's jazzed up and everybody's going to run through a wall and all of this. But if you fail to continue to talk about it, if you fail to develop a plan of how you're going to get there, well, it's going to lose its luster and you're going to lose a lot of alignment. Yeah. And so some of the things that we've tried to do uh, in the past and, and some of the things that we're going to do in this upcoming year uh, is our, our CFO, uh, who has really helped me out, uh, cause she's more, she lets me be the visionary and she, you know, make sure that everything doesn't fall apart, uh, on the back end. She brought to us a, um, a process called, um, uh, grand strategy. And so it's basically breaking the business down into 12 key descriptors. And so we basically have our vision, which is the fluffy, you know, this is what this place is going to look like. And we're going to do all these fun things and all of this stuff that I enjoy doing. So I write that. And then we basically, as an executive team, take that and then break it down. So, okay, if people are going to really love to work here, what is our insider perception going to be? Like, what are people going to say about us? What's our outsider perception going to be? How are people going to view when they see our van rolling down the street? What are they going to say? Are they going to say those guys are, you know, crooks or are they going to say like, Hey, they do a really good job. And I had a really good experience with them. Okay. Well, what are metrics that we can use to determine, are we aiming towards that? What's the, how do we win that? What, what should our, uh, you know, could we measure it in reviews? Could we measure it in, you know, do a survey of our customers, whatever that may be. Those are just some examples, but, you know, I think that's the key that we're going to really focus on this year is you can have that vision, but then in order to gain alignment, you got to build the plan as well. Uh, the yeah. plan of, hey, this is what we're going to do Q1. This is what we're going to focus on. This is what, how we're going to attack it. And this is going to pull us closer to that vision. Not just, God, it'd be really cool to work at this place. But, you know, <laughs> uh, and you look up and it's June and you're like, eh, this ain't that place. So we're yeah. going to go from here. Man, so you guys have been around since 89? 86. Right? 86. Yep. Wow company is older than I am. That's awesome. Yeah, the company um, so, is three months older than I am. My dad started it in June. Uh, I was born in, no, I guess it's more than three months, whatever that is, four or five months. I was born in November of 86. Wow. Nice. That's nuts. So I'm sure throughout the years, especially like, I mean, we're, we're only five years old. So that whole, and, and we're still in startup mode, right? Like nonstop startup mode. And you do a ton of things 
just to not go down the hole, right? <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. like you're just doing whatever you can and vision can be very fleeting at times, right? Or it's more just like, kind of like what you were talking about. We did 750 of these last year. We're going to do 800 this year because that's a natural progression. But when you came into this, how did, I guess the first question is, did vision change for what the company was going to be uh, and and how so, if so? Yeah. So vision has changed um, over the years. So my dad never wanted to get over 50 people. Um, as I said earlier, those days are somewhat yeah. long gone. Uh, we're almost <laughs> yeah. starting half that many on Monday. Hiring 50, um, yeah, exactly. yeah. But, uh, you know, so in 2000, I came back to the business in 2011. My brother came back in, or not came back. He finished college and then he came and started working. Um in 13. So in about 15, after we'd been at it, you know, I'd been at it four years, Tyler had been at it two years. Um, dad was at the time he would have been, I call it 55. Um, so not retirement, but you know, he's probably thinking about it. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think at that time we had kind of maybe proven ourselves a little bit of like, Hey, we're, you know, we're invested. We want to do something with this business. And, you know, I think one of the things that I'm most grateful of is his ability to, when it comes to leadership, is his ability to get out of the way and understand that, hey, I've got two people who are really passionate about this and maybe they can take this to the next level Mm. as opposed to, well, we've always done it this way. This is the way we're going to do it. Um, And that's not to say he doesn't give us his input whenever possible. But he also started the place. So that's kind of the... yeah. It's kind of the deal you make when, uh, you know, uh, you, you get to do those things. And so in 15, we joined a, an organization called Nexstar, which is an organization for residential uh, heating, plumbing, electrical contractors to teaches us best practices. Um, we kind of joined them um, and really kind of tw- uh, focused our business on the residential side of things. So mm. in 15, we were probably 70% uh, new construction in the apartments. Um, and we were about 30%, uh, residential service. Um, and what my brother and I were seeing in that was that the resident or the commercial, at least in that space of commercial, uh, obviously there's all kinds of different sectors. Um, that, that was somewhat a race to the bottom, uh, where it was, well, we've created these relationships. We took this guy to a Pacer game. Like, surely he'll give us the next bid. And it's like, no, he won't. It's because it, it, we weren't the low bid. Like, he doesn't care yeah. Yeah. Uh, that we went to the Pacer game and had a beer. And so we were like, well, that doesn't seem sustainable. Um, so we focus on the residential side where we thought, hey, there's a lot of opportunity. And, you know, everybody's got to go home. And they're, you know, even this year, they're building homes at incredible clips. And so really the vision changed there. And we put a focus on growing, like we really wanted to grow it. Whereas up until that point, my dad wanted to grow the business. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't his focus. You know, it was, Mm -hmm. and he'll tell you that, I mean, he's not afraid to admit it. Like I was just here to, you know, make sure the business made money. If we grew a little bit this year, great. Uh, If we didn't, you know, hopefully we didn't lose money and we stayed about the same and we'll just keep on trucking down the road. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's when it really shifted. Uh, and, and that's when we kind of started the, you know, our, our growth ascent uh, to, to where we are now. 
As I say, just curious, uh, you mentioned your dad didn't want to grow past 50 people. Was there a reason for that number? Or was that just a arbitrary number he had picked out? I think there's like some sort of health insurance. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. some sort of there's okay. some sort of health insurance deal where if you get over fifty, it's not even that big of a deal, but he thought it was. Yeah. Um. But uh, so that was kind of his number. He's like, oh god, we're bumping up against it. We got to be careful. Like, uh, yeah, I think we're gonna go over it. Uh. It, there's also a funny story about him. We uh, you know, in the plumbing side, uh, a huge part of our business now is excavation. Um, and replacing sewer lines and water lines and all kinds of stuff like that. And there was a time we were standing in his office and he's like, we're never getting a damn excavator. We don't need that. <laughs> and uh, now we have, I think, seven of them. Uh, wow. But, yeah. But uh, he's like, we don't need that stuff. What are you going to do with that? I'm like, I think it's really, I think it's a good thing to get into. Yeah. Um, oh so gosh. yeah, a lot of, lot of fun things that he said we, you know, we don't need to do that or that's silly. And then, well, of course, um, you know, but I think that points back to, you know, this, this is focused on leadership and, and growing leaders. I think there's a prime example right there with my dad and his leadership is, you know, I always tell people too, is my dad's never told me no. So mm-hmm. when I've worked there for 10 years and he's never said no to one of my ideas. And some of them have been bad. I mean, yeah. not great ideas. Um, I've hit on a few good ones. That's, that's been good. Uh, the excavator, that was a good one. Um, but, uh, you know, I've had some bad ones too, but I think that's the key as we, we look to grow leaders, um, is you got to get out of the way. Uh, I always tell our leaders that, you know, if we're going to grow these people, you have to keep in mind, you don't go do the work. You, you, you are there to, to create the environment, to create the inspiration for these people to go do great work. You can't go route and run that call. You can't. So um, you've got to rely on others. And, and until you understand that you've got to kick your ego to the side um, and, uh, and be there to support uh, those around you, um, to me, that's the first step in, you know, going on that leadership journey is if you're willing to support others. Yeah, yeah that's good. So you've talked about some of the you said, you know, some of your ideas have been horrible and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm there with you. In fact, I was laughing so hard. I kind of had to mute myself at one point because everything you were like, my dad said this. I was like, oh, shoot, I said that too. <laughs> like even about the excavator, like down to that point, And now yep. we have an excavator and stuff like that. So yeah. it's funny. Um, but ha- like what have been some of those hurdles for you in becoming a leader? Because things don't go well things are really, really hard. What you were talking about, like so nuanced and and subtle about like, hey, you guys don't, you're not the ones in the field doing the thing. Like you would think that that's common sense, but it's not. Like there are tons of hurdles for leaders to overcome. Um, And I'm just kind of curious, like what are some of those that were pretty hard for you to overcome? So one that I still deal with because I am not a confrontational person at all is, is having those tough conversations. You know, as, as so many times, and, and I'm the biggest culprit, and, and one of the things that I'm really working on this year is, you know, one, having the tough conversations with those that you lead uh, myself, and then also finding instances in the business where people are blaming others rather than mm. having a tough conversation. I can't get why he doesn't understand. Have you talked to him? Well, no, but I don't understand why he doesn't get this. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, why don't we just, why don't we just have a conversation? Well, yeah. I don't know about that. It's like, 
well, we've got to encourage these these tough conversations. And tough conversations is probably the wrong. I think there's a book, Crucial Conversations, which is probably a better word for them. Yeah, um, sure. yeah they are tough, but they need to be had. And, you know, as leaders, we can sit back and complain uh, about those that we lead and how they don't get it and how they'll, you know, this, that, and the other. But um, until we, we take that step, uh, you know, we're never going to solve anything. And I think that was really, I've gotten better. I'm not great, but I've gotten better. I think one of the challenges, and, and this may help some of the, uh, you know, uh, younger uh, aspiring leaders that are listening is, you know, that age differential. You know, mm-hmm. I struggled with that a whole lot where I didn't have any technical background. You know, yeah, my last name's on the building. So people look at me like, oh, you're supposed to know what to do. But like mm-hmm. internally, like I was kind of struggling with, I don't know what to do. Um, yeah. This isn't, I, I'm not sure I have the answer yet. I'm supposed to tell this guy who's twice my age, yeah. hey, go do this. Mm-hmm. And so what I think that the advice that I would offer and, and what I came to learn is that it's okay not to know the answer. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly fine yeah. not to know the answer. And yeah. so many leaders think they have to have every single answer. Uh, one instance of this that I, I think caught my leadership team off guard when I said it, but I was like I was really honest and truthful with them. I was like, I think this is a better idea. And it was, it came about, we do a quarterly survey um, with all the departments and they give all their feedback on the leader and style and what are the issues in the department and this, that, and the other. And I said to my leaders, I said, who thinks that they need to figure out all these problems? And of course, all of them, you know, raise their hand. Well, I want a good review next time, you know, I, I better figure. I was like, how about this? How about you show some humility and you show these results to your team, mm-hmm. put them up on the TV, show them, say, hey, here's where we apparently came up short. Here's what some of you guys said. Don't point anybody out. You don't even put anybody on blast or anything like that. Just right. show it. Here's what's going on now. And then turn to them and say, how should we fix it? Yeah. How should we fix it? And I go, they're going to know the answer on how to fix it. Not you. Yep. They, they're the one that see it as a problem. So let's solve it together. You as the leader are responsible for the environment. That's it just responsible for the environment and providing the inspiration for people to go do great things. You don't have to have all the answers. And in fact, you not having answers is going to create more buy-in, more alignment for those around you. Um, As opposed to you being a dictator up there saying, well, I've got all the best ideas and watch this. And this is how we do it. And I'll tell you, and you're doing it wrong. All of these things are just going to lead to people resenting you and like, who is this guy? Yeah. What, what is what is he doing? Um, so, man, I was thinking about what you had mentioned about the hard conversations because I think this is universal. We all have this perception, especially with people in the trades, that they they, they they'll say whatever they want to say and they're 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 who they are and blah blah blah. And being a person who went was in the trade, that's BS. Like hard conversations are hard conversations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brene Brown calls it the rumble, like getting to the rumble, just getting to the point where you can have that conversation. And I think a lot of times it just is easier and it feels better just to have a perception and to thrive off of that negative energy about something. It's easier. I mean, I don't have to deal with the problem, but you're a hundred percent right. Like when you can just deal with the problem in a, uh, in a way that isn't confrontational, 
right? Because you can go and say, like, I love, man, I love that you said, like, be humble. Just put all that stuff up yeah. there and, and maybe even say, help me see how I've done this. Like, show me maybe in a, in a can you give me an example how I've done this? Because I, I'm sorry. Like, I think I'm sorry is some of the most powerful words mm-hmm. because regardless of whether you think you've done that thing or not, their perceptions, their reality, and they're living with that perception. So how, how can you come alongside that to gain clarity and empathy with one another? So, man, what do you, what do you think that fear is that we have that's so deep that keeps us in places? Oh, like I think, that? I think, I'm so glad you asked that. I, I think it's a fear of ownership. You know, I think it's a fear of not wanting to own the problem. It's far easier just to blame somebody else, right? I mean, I'm right. ain't my fault. But we have this fear of taking ownership for these problems. And and one exercise that I will encourage people to do, and it works a lot better at home, I feel like, than at work, is take ownership for everything. Just take ownership for everything. If you're wife leaves dishes in the sink and it's really easy to say, Oh my God, like, does she not understand why I'm working so hard? Like she can't put her dishes in the dishwasher. Or you could say, well, if I took ownership of this, maybe I should just help her out. Cause maybe I didn't bring her flowers last week and I should have, yeah. or, you know, ownership of just everything. Like, well, why didn't the kids do this? Well, maybe I didn't teach them. Well, maybe I should show them again. Um, and then in the workplace, well, so on and so forth, just, Hey, they didn't do this. Well, what could I have done to maybe elicit a better result? And I think it is just so fearful of ownership and being wrong. Mm. So that's where we're going to learn. That's where you're going to have that crucial conversation. I feel like people don't want to have it because more than more times than not, it's you, it's not (laughs) them. It's you, uh, is the problem. And when people get really comfortable with the problem being kind of, you know, uh, it, it's not your fault. You're simply taking responsibility. So if something went wrong, you just take responsibility. You don't take fault because fault has such a negative kind of vibe to it. Like, well, it wasn't my fault. Well, no, it wasn't your fault that Johnny didn't do it right. However, I'm going to take responsibility for teaching him the right way or responsibility for, Hey, I should have showed him a different way or whatever it was. You don't have to take fault. You just take responsibility. And that's what I try to preach to our team because the more people that we have taking responsibility around the workplace, the better the place is going to be. And the more people are going to grow rather than just blaming each other. Dang. You just like knocked me out of my seat with it. Is that like a you quote right there? Like the, it's not your fault. You're just taking responsibility because like, that's getting needle stitched today. Yeah. yeah and that is unbelievable. Um, gosh, man. One of the, when we have guests on this podcast, the one question I ask, and you could either say, yes, that's it, or no, it's not. But um, the one question I always want to know is what is that one mindset you believe ever, every leader should know or do? Do you think that would be it? Or do you think it's something else? I mean, I think it is. I think that goes along with, you know, the other one that I would maybe say is, you know, I'm a huge Maxwell fan, mm-hmm. obviously, yep. um, you know, influence and, you know, wanting to influence others and all of that. But I think taking responsibility, you're going to influence others with that. So I think it kind of all goes together. So maybe just a different way of saying it. But 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is uh, wanting to serve others. I think that is that's key too. Like, what can I do today? Um, obviously, taking responsibility is one of those to to serve others to make yeah. sure that they have a great place. You know, one example that I always talk about as far as kind of ownership and responsibility is you know being who your people need you to be. Like, I am a total introvert. Like, I could sit and read a book by myself. I'd be good. Um, but I know that as a leader, my people don't need that, that, that isn't going to inspire anybody. And so I make it a point to go around every morning and say hi to everybody. Is that my natural personality? No. If I went to a party, I'm the guy standing over like in the corner. Like, yeah. that's why I always tell my, I always tell my wife, I go that I'm not that person. That's why I married you. Because you're the person, you're the life of the party. So I just got to tag along, you know, opposites attract. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I think just taking responsibility, being who your people need you to be for them. And it may not be your natural, like, inclination or, you know, way of thinking, but that's okay. Um, you're there to serve them, not serve your own needs and ego type thing. So what do you think? Um, what do you think the hardest thing is about being a leader? What's the hardest thing about being a leader? Those crucial conversations are tough. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I think the cool part about being a leader is that the things that appear tough at first get a heck of a lot easier. Um, you know, one example I'll give you is, you know, taking credit. Everybody wants to take credit. Everybody wants to say, hey, that was my idea. Hey, I got a good idea, whatever it may be. And at first that's very difficult, very hard to do. Like, you know, everybody's got, everybody's got ego. Everybody wants to, you know, be recognized for something good they did. Um, but what I will tell you is, is putting yourself second and really elevating those around you um, is going to become very natural. And it's a heck of a lot more fulfilling when yeah. you see others succeed, when you see others break through walls that, they didn't think they could do. That's really, really cool. It's a heck of a lot more cool than you doing something yourself. Because at the end of the day, when you look back on any accomplishment that you have, you know, like a lot of people attribute a lot of the success of our business to me, you know, because I'm the leader, I'm the, you know, head of it. But at the end of the day, I mean, my people joke with me about like, do you do anything besides give tours around here, <laughs> which is a great place to be. Um, there are many of things that I don't do very well at all. And we have people that are extraordinary at those things on our team. And so, um, as I see them succeed, as I see them do things and elevate their careers, for me, that's the most fulfilling, but I think some of those things that are very difficult to do, um, like, you know, getting out of the way and, and pushing your ego to the side, um, it's just one example of the hard things that I think become easier as you, as you practice them for sure. Yeah. So we've, we've talked about a bunch of different books, resources, authors. Um, we talked about, I think you mentioned earlier a book called double, double. Uh, we talked about grand strategy and crucial conversations, but as we, as we really boil it down to, you also mentioned John Maxwell and we've talked about him before with five levels of leadership yep. as we're looking at um, taking leaders from, uh, the permission level, I'm sorry, the, the, uh, the, the position level to permission level, what's a resource that you would suggest, um, a book podcast, uh, something that helped you as you were, as you started that journey 
that we can recommend to our listeners as far as helping them take that next step too? Yeah. So uh, I've got a bunch. The one thing I would just say, just overarching is, you know, there's the saying out there, you know, uh, leaders are readers. And then you hear some people like, I don't really like to read. Well, you better learn to love it because you're not getting, I mean, it's not like, I don't, I don't like to read, but I read because, you know, that's, there's information in there. I can apply it. So one of the, um, one of the books that I would uh, recommend is uh, Dichotomy of Leadership by Jocko Willink. Um, Mm -hmm. He has extreme ownership, but uh, Dichotomy is his other one. It is written really um, in, in a really cool way and it's very easy to digest. I don't have as many here on my home bookshelf, um, but I was reading one. There's another one called The Coaching Effect. Okay. That's really good. Uh, Beyond Success by By Brian Byro. Uh, I really love his stuff. It's awesome. Um, that one's a good one to kind of get get the uh, wheels turning. But there's a ton of resources out there. Podcast Maxwell's podcast is awesome. I do a lot of my teaching from Maxwell's podcast just because he lays it out pretty pretty simply. And then tell us about your podcast. I know uh, Blake mentioned that uh, you've got one earlier on. Tell us a little bit more about that, how we can listen to it, where we can find it, how we can get in touch with you if we want to know more too. Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast was started uh, three years ago, just started as a, kind of a way to get my leadership thoughts out there to our team because uh, all of our two-thirds of our workforce is on the road. Um, and so we are like, oh, podcast seems like a logical thing. And so it's kind of grown from there. So we now do interviews. Um, we had Blake on uh, like a week or so ago before, before the holiday and uh, interview uh, leaders and get their perspective on leadership. Um, and then we also record my training. So I do a every other week, I do a live uh, training for our people. Um, and we record that and put that on there. So, um, you can find it, can't stop the growth. It's on all the, uh, you know, your regular podcast platforms and different stuff like that, but some really cool guests on there, um, that, uh, are really, uh, have some really awesome thoughts to share. Um, and then there again, we share my stuff as well, um, that I'm just literally sharing what I learned. So that's another thing I think as a, a leadership lesson is that we told you to go read, um, but then you got to share it. You can't just right. keep it all to yourself. And so right. that's why I love what you guys are doing. This is awesome. I mean, um, taking what you guys have learned and what you guys are doing on a daily basis and then putting it out there for others to learn. That's true. That's true leadership. That's putting information out there for others to utilize, to grow and get better. Um, if you can keep that mindset as a leader, that's that's going to move you. Um, that's going to move the needle quite a bit. Well, Chad, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Ridgeline Leadership Podcast. We've really enjoyed uh, learning more about you and the people that you lead and grow. Guys, go check out his podcast, Can't Stop the Growth. You can find it everywhere podcasts are there. And uh, thank you guys so much for joining us this week on the Ridgeline Leadership Podcast. Catch you next time. Also, we'd like to thank our very own Luke Van Tress, a.k.a. Mr. Boxes for our kick-ass original theme song.